Uh, we're starting a new series, uh, and it won't be as long as Ephesians, I promise, but uh, for one, it only has four chapters, and we're going to get through half of one chapter today, so that will, that will help us. Um, I want you to, as we get into this, I want you to kind of go at this with a little bit different perspective, because I, I think this is a misunderstood book in the Bible. I think it's a misunderstood Bible character. I think we learn a lot of bad things out of this book that aren't true. So I want to kind of, and I think even by the end of the day, you're going to see this book and, and, and this person in a whole different perspective. And we're going to be looking um, at, at the life of Jonah um, over the course of the next uh, probably four to six, eight weeks, something like that. Uh, and, and as we get into Jonah, here, here's the problem. Um, when we, when we talk about Jonah, um, I think we misunderstand some things about Jonah. We look at Jonah as the bad guy here. And uh, so we think of Jonah as the backsliding prophet. But I think you're going to see this morning, uh, every one of us in here would do the exact same thing he did. Um, there's, a, there's a Jonah in all of us. And when you understand what God asked of him, you'll understand it much better. Uh, last week, we, or two weeks ago, we talked about when God asked you to do hard things, and we talked about the widow of Zarephath, and, and she was obedient. And, and we're going to see this morning in Jonah, God asked, uh, God asked an even more difficult thing of Jonah. And Jonah said no. And uh, so I, I'm hoping when we walk out of here that, that you'll think of Jonah a little bit differently and not see Jonah so much as the bad guy, but as kind of a normal guy like all of us. Second thing I think you learn, we mislearn in the book of Jonah is about God. We get the idea that God is in heaven preparing a great fish to swallow us up if we get out of line. And what? Huh? Move it down. I look better now? Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's why he said it. Because I know I always look awesome. But... Um, uh, those of you who are busy, I'm sorry. It's just a different day. Uh, but, I mean, honestly, with, with Jonah, I mean, I, I mean, we get the idea that, that God's in heaven ready to bat us upside the head when we get out of line. Because that's what God looks like does with Jonah. But if, if you look at Jonah and that's what you take away from the book, you miss the whole book completely. Because Jonah's really about God's grace and God's love and God's concern for, for us and his people, and people who aren't his people. So I, I'm hoping you'll walk away from this when we're all done, having a whole different idea about Jonah, and a whole different idea about God. Okay, that, that, That's why we're going. So let me give you a little bit of just general observations real quick. Um, this book breaks down really easy into the theme of running. Chapter 1 is about running from God. Chapter 2 is about running to God. Uh, we get into chapter 3, and it's the idea of running with God, doing what God wants. In chapter 4, we get the idea of running ahead of God. Um, this book is about the messenger, not the message. God's going to ask him to preach, and when you actually go to the Hebrew, he preaches a five-word message. Can you imagine coming here this morning and I say five words and then we're done? And now, that ain't going to happen, okay? But, I mean, that's what he does. He goes into the city of Nineveh. It's a five-word message. That's it. But we spend four chapters talking about the messenger, and so we're, we're, we're going to see that. Um, 
you're, everything in this book obeys God except Jonah. We, we see a fish obey God. We see wind obey God. We see a plant obey God. We see a worm obey God. We see wind. We see the Ninevites obey God. We see everybody obeying God except Jonah. Okay, and you're going to understand better this morning why. If you're a literary person and you're like one of those English literature people, okay, this, this book is a goldmine. Right? Uh, this book is written in a, in a very unique style. Chapters 1 and 3 parallel each other and chapters 2 and 4 parallel each other. You can actually diagram them out and, and there's just, it's, it's really cool the way that it all works. Um, most Bible scholars discredit this book. They say it's an allegory and they say it never happened. Now, I have a couple problems with that. Number one, it's in the Bible, so I take the Bible literally, so I take it as a literal story. But even more importantly, when Jesus is on the earth, Jesus refers to this story two times. He doesn't, so I have to think that it's a literal story. In fact, in one of the occasions that Jesus refers to this story, he uses it as a reference to his burial. That he's three days on the earth like Jonah was three days in the belly of the great fish. By the way, you haven't heard me say whale yet, okay? Because the Bible didn't say whale. It says great fish. We just think of whales as great fish because they are. Uh, so anyway, so with that in mind, let's jump into the book. Here we go. Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So let's stop right there. Jonah's name means dove, the uh, son of Amittai. Uh, his name means truth. Uh, Jonah is a Jewish prophet. He is a prophet to the Jewish people. His job is to keep the Jewish people in line. That's his job. And so he goes in and, like a preacher, tells them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And so prophets had a very important role in that day. They proclaimed the word of God to the people and, and, and let the people know what God wanted. It says now, go to the great city of Nineveh. So let's just stop there, okay? Uh, because if you get this wrong, you miss the whole thing, okay? If you don't understand Nineveh and the Jewish people, you get this whole thing completely wrong, okay? So let's talk about Nineveh. Nineveh is not a Jewish city. Nineveh is a city of Gentiles. It is an Assyrian city. These are the enemies of the children of Israel. These are people who, again, is Jonah's job to go to the Gentiles? No. His job is to go to the Jewish people. And God is saying, I want you to go to the Gentile people. And not only do I want you to go to the Gentile people, I want you to go to the Gentile people who are your enemies. Now, this city is pretty incredible. Uh, when you look at it, it was one of the great cities of the time. Um, it is uh, first mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, where we, we read about a guy by the name of Nimrod who goes to this city. Um, modern day, this is on the other side, this would be on the other side of, the, of Mosul, across the river, for, across the Tigris River. Um, they had a, this city was, was incredible in the way, first of all, in the way it was designed and this fortune. had almost eight miles of walls. Some of the walls were 100 feet tall. Excavations have shown us. The average, if you average out the width of the walls between the outer wall and the inner wall, the average walls were somewhere between 40 and 50 feet wide. This building is 60 feet wide. So basically you're talking about two walls this, you know, this size 
for eight miles, and in some cases 100 feet tall. To put it in perspective, this ceiling's about 20. So five times the size of this building. So probably about, if you look at the steeple on the top of the church and double it, and then add a little more, you're probably close to 100 feet. We're talking about massive. We're talking about this city because it was a capital of Assyria, because it was a capital uh, Assyrian city. Um, we're talking about that these people had, they were some of the first of the, of the modern day inventions that you and I actually enjoy today. Um, they had the first postal system. They had the first paved road system. Uh, they had the first use of iron. Uh, they had uh, the first libraries. They actually had come up with the first plumbing system. They actually had flush toilets. Okay, uh, They had aqueducts. They had a system set up to actually water. There, there were two rivers there, and, and so they pulled off of those rivers and actually set up kind of a watering system. They watered a 1,000 fields of corn. It was a flush river. They actually had a flood control system so that as the waters would flood, they actually would have a marsh deal before it got to the city to protect themselves. They actually set up the idea that our United States is somewhat founded on is with this concept of a, 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 a federal government divided by states, ruled by governors. That actually originated here in, in Nineveh, in the Syrian capital. So this thing was incredible. I mean, this was, this was one massive place. Now, here's the thing. These were Syrians. These people hated Jews. And when these people went to war, they were brutal. Um, I cannot read to you some of the accounts that I read this week. Um, so let me give you my PG-rated version of it. And sometimes when they went in and they fought battles, what they did was they chopped off the heads of everybody they conquered, and they made a pyramid out of them. In some cases, they took the people, their their enemies, and they skinned them alive, and they wallpapered the walls of their city with their skin. In in some, there's actually a historic, there's actually an account in which they took live human beings of their enemies, and as they made their walls, they actually cemented them into the wall alive. Now, to chop off a hand or ears or noses just for fun was just common. These people were brutal. And this is the PG-rated version. That's how brutal these people were. These were the enemies of the Jews. So think about this for a minute. You're God's man taking care of God's people. And God says, I am going to wipe out your enemy. And you say, praise God, he's answered our prayers. But Jonah, I'm going to give him another chance. And I want you to go to their city and tell them, that I'm going to destroy the city if they don't repent, so that they will repent and they'll continue to live. Now look, you want to know, God's asking a hard thing of his people. Would you go? See, look, this is a no-brainer. I mean, this is a, this is, you lose no matter what. 
if you're Jonah, and this is what they do to their enemies, and you walk into their city and say, my God says he's going to wipe you out. What are your odds of living? And what are your odds of dying a very brutal, horrendous type of death? Now, I don't think that's what Jonah was afraid of at all. But that's one of the issues. On the other hand, what happens if you go and you preach and they repent and then you have to go back to your people because you have just saved the enemy from being destroyed by Almighty God? I mean, your job as a prophet is to take care of God's people, not the enemy. I mean, God's answer to your prayer is going to wipe out the enemy. And you want to go, God, look, I don't want them to repent. I don't want them to get saved. I want them wiped out because of what they've done to our people. How many in here would sign up for this job? Because that's what God asked of Jonah. God said, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. Because their wickedness has come up for me. Some people call this the... uh, the sin city of the day. Um, and we haven't even gone into the morality today. We just dealt with the, the way they did war. And it goes on. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And by the way, I have to give Jonah credit. When he does something, he goes all in. You'll see that in a minute. And headed for Tarshish, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound to that port. After paying the ferry, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, let me show it to you on a map, okay? So here's a map of the area. If you'll look, about where it says Nineveh there, just south of there is Jerusalem in the area that Jonah's in. So Jonah would have had to go down to the shore there at Joppa, okay, and get on a boat, and he's headed for Tarshish. Now, Nineveh's the other way, okay? Okay? So here is Jonah's travel plan, okay? Here's the next one. give you an idea. This is the Roman world, a little bit later. Tarshish is on the other side of the known Roman world. In other words, what Jonah says is, okay, God, you want me here. I am going to go so far away, there is no way you could ever get me back to Nineveh. So he gets on a boat with a bunch of sailors who carried cargo from one place to another, and he literally heads to the end of the known world, basically, at that time. And thinks, guess what? This is as far from Nineveh as I can get. I got this figured out. Again, because God's asked a really difficult thing of it. Notice what the story goes on to say. Uh, next passage, guys. Uh, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break it up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out each to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten their ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe you'll take notice so that we'll not perish. these guys were sailors. They had one job, get the cargo from A to B. 
you want to live to it. So you have a responsibility to get the cargo, you have a responsibility for the ship, you have a responsibility for your life. This storm comes up, and as fishermen, they were superstitious. And, and you know, I don't know if you know this, but a, a lot of, if, if you watch any of the redneck TV shows like Deadliest Catch or um, uh, Wicked Tuna or, you know, any of the prime TV shows you should be watching. Um, if you watch all those, fishermen have this whole superstitious thing going on, okay? Oh, for instance, I don't know if you know it or not, but commercial fish or um, uh, sport fishermen um, will never have a banana on the boat. That's how they get even with people is they hide a banana somewhere on their boat because they're superstitious that brings bad luck, okay? These guys, again, because of the pagan culture, they're all superstitious. They all have their gods. So when a storm comes up, they're like, okay, my God's angry. My God's angry. Who's, who's God angry at? And the storm was significant enough that they were willing to take their livelihood to get from point A to point B and start chucking it overboard. And let me tell you something. When you arrive at port and you go, hey, look, you know, we don't have anything. We threw it overboard. Then it's like, no, 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 you're skimming. I mean, this, this was not something you did unless your life was in jeopardy. So they start throwing stuff overboard. Jonah, on the other hand, is where? He's snoozing. He's oblivious to everything that's going on. And he's sitting there going, you know what? Yeah, it's a storm. It'll be okay. It'll pass. No big deal. And these people are like, they wake him up and they go, look, we're going to die. I don't know who your God is. You need to start praying to him. Maybe he'll save us because we're desperate now. We got, we're chucking off cargo. The next thing is we got to try to save the ship somehow so that we don't all die. Notice what happens. The story goes on. And he says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. Okay, look, I don't know who it is, but one of you guys isn't fussing up. So let's draw lots, and whoever falls on, that's who we'll know. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, they said, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work is it that you do? You don't want to ever answer this question as a pastor, I'm telling you, because it's like a it's like a conversation ender or somebody who starts throwing every theological question they've ever had in their lifetime at you. Um, you know, where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? So they look at him and they go, okay, what do you do? And he goes, uh, I'm a prophet. From where, Israel? I, I worship the Hebrew God who said he's the God over everything. Really? And so notice what happens next. Um, and he goes, you know, where's your country? What people are you from? Um, what's the next one, Peyton? Yeah. I, I have my clicker, but I can't find it. Um, I think it's in my sport coat from last week. So I, and that's at home. So anyway, uh, so I hated to give control back over to him, but they were so happy to take it. Uh, here we go. And he answered, he said, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And we're, this is where we're going to end today. This story. And now these people are faced with what are we going to do now? And we'll go into that next week because there's a bunch of lessons that I think as we go through this that, that I kind of want to pull out. 
Because that's where he ends it. He ends it by going, okay, guys, this is what I've done. This is, this is, this is, I, this is who my God is. And, of course, these people now have to figure out what's next. So let's just talk about a couple of quick takeaways and things for us this week. Here's the first one. God asks hard things of his people. This is my problem. See, in, in Christianity, particularly modern Christianity, we've lost this message today. What happened is Christianity has done this. It had this pendulum swing way over here. And then Christianity, a couple centuries ago, started swinging back this way, and now we're way over here. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, if you go back in church history, here's what you'll find. If you came into a church and you listened to the songs that they sang, they sang songs like, Holy, Holy, Holy. God's way up there, majestic in all of his power and his majesty. He's awesome. In fact, in their architecture, it's the way they built their buildings. You go into the old, old uh, cathedrals. They're really tall. It's the idea of God's way up there and we're way down here. God's so great we can never get all the way up there. And that, that was a concept. That was a theology. They had God on so high and exalted up. And that's a good thing. But what happened is, as people started looking at that, they started saying, and through the Reformation and some other things, they started saying, you know what? God is not this awesome thing that can't get, get, we can't get to. God actually came down to us, and God wants a relationship with us. So then the church took the pendulum swing over here to start saying, and this was revolutionary at the time, let's start singing some songs like, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Whoa. That's not what we do. God is not our buddy. God is holy, holy, holy. Not walks in the garden with me and is, and, and is my friend and has that kind of connection. No, 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 no. And the problem is that's true and this is true. And so the church wrestled with this and has kind of come to this balance a little bit. What's happened lately is we have continued this shift and now we see this idea that God exists for me. God should give me the best life now. God has a responsibility to make sure that I am happy. God is there for my genie in the bottle that when I get sick or when I struggle, okay, God, you have to do this for me. And we have this attitude now that God in heaven exists for us. So the God in heaven would never ask anything hard of me. The God of the Bible is and does. When people wanted to follow him in the first century, you know what he told them? If you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, go home. If you're not willing to do some hard things that I'm going to ask of you, then you don't have any part with me. Because I ask hard things of bad people. And we've got to get back to this concept that, you know what? God asks hard things of us. He's not there for our magic genie in the bottle. 
And for some of you, you know exactly what's happened because God has asked very hard things of you and you have been faithful and you've plugged away and you've gotten through it. And God is, like Stan talked about, God is using it to impact other people. Because God, and this is what you're going to see in the book of Jonah when we get to chapter 4, God has a much bigger picture in mind than what Jonah does. In fact, in chapter 4, one of the big issues becomes Jonah starts getting concerned because he thinks God's responsible for his comfort. And, and Jonah says, and so Jonah's struggling here because God has asked a very, God, and I would go to so far as to say God's asking almost like an impossible thing. Because this is a no-win for Jonah. Jonah's going to lose no matter what in his mind. The kingdom of God's going to benefit, but not Jonah. And, and we have to understand this. Sometimes God asks hard things of his people. And for some of you, you're in a situation right now where you know what you need to do, but because it's hard, you want to do the easy thing? I tell teenagers this, I tell adults this all the time. You have two choices in life. You do the hard thing now, and life will get easier, or you do the easy thing now, and life will get harder. You make the call on how you want to do it. And every time, parents, you allow your kids to take shortcuts, you're hurting them, you are not helping them. And I think you say, well, you're sounding like you're really, really old school. Well, yeah. Okay? There's a reason old school works, okay? And I think we got some things wrong with it, but I think we had a lot of things right with it, okay? There's something to be said for not giving kids everything. There's something to be said for making kids earn things and work for things and be responsible for things. And I'll just say this. The older your kids are, the less interference you ought to be running for them because you're not helping them, you're hurting them. And sometimes God ask hard things of his people. Here's a second thing that I think, as we get to the story, I think that you have to understand, and this is it. You get to choose how to respond when God asks. You can obey, or you can run. I can obey and do what God wants me to do, even though it may be hard, or I can take the shortcut and the easy route and run. And by the way, Everybody's like, well, if he runs, everything's going to be miserable. Uh, Remember, he's the one sleeping in a boat. He's not that miserable yet. In fact, this has kind of turned out okay. I mean, he's comfortable once he's napping. And seasoned sailors are panicking. It it should give you the contrast of how, and it's probably because it was a long journey. He was tired. He wanted to crash, and he's crashing. But here's Jonah, because why? Because you have a choice. And and, and here's the thing. You've got to remember this. If, if God asks the hard thing of you or God asking you to do something and you keep refusing to do it, there's a price to be paid for that. <clears throat> You're going to see this as we, this story plays out. He's already had to pay for a, a boat trip that doesn't end well. Okay? I mean, you know, he's about ready to go to some of the most unaccommodating accommodations there are in sea travel. Okay? Um, I mean, that's where it's headed. But, but you know what? Here's the kicker. He paid to take that trip, too. It's already cost, whatever the companies were that were shipping stuff, it's already cost them their cargo. And we're not even into the story yet. You see, here's the thing. When you and I choose to run or when you and I choose not to do it God's way, there is a price tag. And you may not realize how much price is associated with it, but there's a price tag for it. 
Because when we decide that we're going to do it our way, God has to show us that our way doesn't work. One of the things I often ask people, you know, when, when, when everything's a mess, and I, I look at them and say, you know, and they say, you know, and I say, okay, this is what we need to do. And they look at me and go, well, you know, that, that's really hard to do. I really don't want to do that. And I, I mean, I just look at them really candidly and go, let me ask you something. You've called the shots to this point. How's that working for you? Maybe you need somebody else to call the shots for you for a while. Maybe you need another voice. Because the way you're doing it, you, they don't even realize they're running, but you're running. And it's not going to end well. So God's going to, you're his child. He cares for you. He wants to get your attention, and he will. And you have to realize that. And so you have a choice to make. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do what God is asking you to do, but you need to understand, if you don't, there's a price tag for it. And, and here's the third thing. You know, God's going to ask the hard things. You have to make a choice. Unfortunately, when you run, you're often oblivious to how it impacts other people. That's what you need to understand. See, here's the thing. Some of you right now, you're in a situation where God's asking you to do some things and you're running. And you think everything's okay. Here's the thing. You don't see the price tag other people around you are paying. He's sound asleep at a boat. And they're throwing cargo overboard because they think they're going to die. They're crying out to their gods. Depending on what their worship, form of worship is, someone may be cutting themselves in hopes that they would appease the gods. To, to let go of this storm. They wake him up. They have to wake him up. And they have to say, don't you know what's going on? And I see that all the time when people start running. You know, those of you who've dealt with people who have addiction issues, you've watched this play out. They have no clue of the disaster that's happening all around them with spouses and kids and family and co-workers and friends and everybody else. And everybody kind of tiptoes around them trying to figure out how do we get them to see what's going on. And, you know, they, they, <laughs> I like their approach. Don't you know what's going on? Wake up. Cry out to your God. Who are you? Where are you from? Is this because of you? Because we cast lots and it came out on you. Wake up. What did you do? You know what? That's what I often see sometimes with people's lives. And if you're sitting here this morning and you know you're being a disobedient, and you know you're running, listen, I, I'm here to tell you, whether you realize it or not, there are innocent people all around you that are being affected by what you're doing. They may not say it, they may not talk to you about it, but it is having an impact on their lives. Kids, listen, until you've been a parent, you're not going to get this. But when you've become a parent and you've raised a child and you're in the process of raising a child and they start making a series of bad decisions, the level of sleepless nights you cause them, not to mention all, all the physical probably issues that come up with, with you know, stress and ulcers and all the other things and, and, and all the stuff that comes with that, you have no idea the price that they're paying for your choices. You, those of you who are struggling with, with grandkids, you know what I'm talking about. It breaks your heart. 
And they, they are completely oblivious to the impact that it has on your life. Because that's what happens when you run. And, and, and I want to challenge you because some of you think that what you're doing is not, you know, well, it's my life. I can do whatever I want. No, you're not an island to yourself. What you're doing is impacting those around you. You just are sleeping in the boat when everybody else knows what's happening. And my prayer to you is to, is to, is to wake up and ask yourself, who are you? Where are you from? What are you supposed to be doing? Get back to doing what you're supposed to, what God wants you to do, rather than running from Him. Because that's what ultimately happens here. And, and that's a sad thing here. Is that, you know, often people don't, don't realize it. So I have two questions for you as we wrap it up. Here's, here's the first question. First question is this. What is God asking you to do that you've said no to? I, I don't have to stand up here and call it. You know. We've been talking about this. You know there's something in your life that God wants you to do, and you keep saying no. How long are you going to run? How long are you going to let it impact people that you don't even know your impact? How are you going to... I mean, what are you going to do about it? Because you see, ultimately, we don't... There's a little Jonah in all this, but we don't want to be like Jonah. We don't want to go down the road that he went because he's going to learn a very hard, I think, life-altering message. Because when we get into the story, I'm going to tell you why I think his message was so effective and see, and, and see what I think is the price he ultimately paid for the rest of his life. In this instance, forever changes him. Does God use him? Yes. Does he pay a price for it? Yes. Do the people around him pay a price for it? Yes. Don't run. Stop running. Stop running. Go back and do what you know God has called you to do. Whatever that is, whatever that issue is that you know God's saying, look, I want you to do this. You keep saying, no, 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 no. What, what is it? Second issue is this. What is the Nineveh that you refuse to go to? Who is the person that you know you need to try to reach, but it's just so hard? Because in order to try to reach them, you're going to maybe have to forgive them first. In order to reach that obnoxious coworker, you're going to have to befriend them. That's going to be so hard because nobody friends them because they're obnoxious. Who is it that God has laid on your heart to go and talk to or be a testimony to or be a witness to, but you keep saying, eh, Lord, send somebody else? You know, Lord, I'm not the guy. I'm not the girl. Send somebody else. Who is it? Who is it that God wants you to step out and reach and go and talk to, but you are just so afraid? I can't talk to them. I can't. I, I can't. I'm just afraid. You know, I, if they know you love them, if they know you're concerned about them, go. Go to them. You know, yeah, but it's just because again, think of how hard that. Think of how hard that would have been for Jonah to do, to walk into Nineveh. 
And they're looking at him going, I wonder what your head's going to look like on a pike. I mean, there was a lot at risk for him to do this. His own people are going to want nothing to do with him, and those people are not going to want anything to do with him. So what does he do? He runs for now. And I just want to challenge you because I'm afraid that in our hearts sometimes we kind of come up with all these reasons why we don't, we shouldn't have to do that or don't want to do that. And the reality of it is, and, and here's the kicker, you're going to see this when we get to the end of the book. God cares about the Assyrians as much as he cares about the Jewish people. God cares about a group of people that see themselves as the enemy of the people that consider themselves God's people. The implications of this for politics in America is overwhelming. Are you ready for this? If you're a diehard, staunch, died-in-the-wool Republican, I think you ought to have friends on every side of the spectrum. If you're a died-in-the-wool Democrat, I think you ought to have, I, I think you ought to have si- people on every side of the spectrum. You go, why? Jonah. God cares about them too. And as much as God cares, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a message for 4th of July that's, that's either going to... Well, let's put it this way. I'm going to preach on 4th of July and then I'm going on vacation next week. So, <laughs> I thought this one through. Eh? I really thought... I've never done it. I thought, I thought this one through because I heard this and I thought, okay, this is... And I want to talk about this politic thing. But you know what? Here's the thing. I'm afraid in America, one of the things that we've started doing, we put in politics in front of Christianity. We're more concerned that somebody agrees to our political whatever it is that we forgot. These are both sides of it. These are lost people who need Christ. God loves them all. Even though they may disagree with you. And you can peg with that any political agenda you want. You know, people who are pro-abortion, you ought to be able to be friends with them. And reach them. And people who are anti-abortion, you want to be friends with them and reach them. Because lost people are everywhere. And you can pick whatever your little political hot potato thing is. And I just want to challenge you with this because God was concerned for the Ninevites as much as he was concerned for the Jewish people. And God takes, and by the way, just FYI, the second illustration that Christ uses in the New Testament is this very idea that God was concerned even for the Gentiles. And the story of Jonah is about God sending God's prophet not to God's people, but to God's enemies, the Gentiles. And Christ's argument is the gospel's big enough for everybody, not just Jews and Gentiles, not just Jews. So the implications of this story go really wild and deep and far. So anyway, so this morning I end it with this. As we wrap it up, I end with this. There's some Jonah in all of us. Sometimes God's going to ask difficult things of his people. Our life story is a result of our choices. We can obey or we can disobey. But God will pursue us because of his love, his mercy, his grace. If we disobey, we impact the world of those who are closest to us. So this week, 
Let's be a little less like Jonah, who starts running from God. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we've all got stuff. Lord, we've all got things that we know to do, but uh, they're hard for us to do, Lord. We struggle. Lord, I pray that our struggle would be one to honor you, not to fulfill our own desires or wishes or plans or our ways. That, Lord, we wouldn't be running from you, but that we would run to you. Lord, would you use us? Lord, thanks for this uh, great story. May we learn well from it. May we apply it. May we uh, be a little less like Jonah this week as he runs from you. And uh, Lord, use us. There's a world that needs to hear your message. And we, Lord, are the messengers. So, so use us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing the Cares Chorus. Um, so...